If you're a believer, you're no doubt looking forward to your future in heaven. But there are many who will face a very different, tragic future. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah profiles both heaven and hell as he takes a closer look at the two judgments presided over by Jesus with eternal consequences. Listen now as David introduces the conclusion of his message, The Judge. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're happy to have you. We're uh, finishing up a message we started yesterday that's built around an event that's going to happen in the future called the Great White Throne Judgment. It is recorded for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. You can find your place in the New Testament and follow along as we talk about it today. We will get to that in just a moment. I want to let you know that we have a very special book that is available during the month of May. It's called After the Rapture. It is a book that talks about what will happen on this earth after the church has been taken to heaven. You say, what would be the need for such a book for people who don't know Christ, for people who say they don't want to go to heaven, they can just handle things as they come? This book will help these people understand that they don't want to go there. They don't want that experience of life on earth after all of the Christians have been taken to heaven and uh, there's nothing left here but judgment. I hope that you will take seriously the opportunity that this book provides. Nobody's ever done anything quite like this before. This This was an idea that we had that we thought was really worthy. If it even brings one person to Christ, it will be worth it. But this is something you will have the opportunity to talk about with your friends, perhaps those friends who do not yet know the Lord. So this book is available to you from Turning Point. You can get your copy during the month of May. All you have to do is send a gift of any size to Turning Point, and we're happy to send it to you as our way of expressing our gratitude. Ask for it when you send your gift today. Well, this is part two of The Judge. Let's find out what else we need to know about what will happen that day at the Great White Throne Judgment. As John views the Great White Throne, he sees the dead, all who died without a relationship with Jesus Christ, the dead who died without Christ, the spiritually dead. Their bodies are summoned from their graves and from the sea and their souls are called from death and Hades to stand before the judge of all the earth. And John says that this group will be made up of both small and great. That's an expression that appears often in the Bible and over five times in the book of Revelation alone. It's there to remind us that all classes of people will be present from all ranks in the church and in the world. There will be many religious people at the great white throne, philanthropists and preachers, miracle workers and lay people. Erwin Lutzer says that this multitude is diverse in its religions. We see Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and Protestants and Catholics and Baptists and Presbyterians. We see those who believed in one God and those who believed in many gods. We see those who refused to believe in any God at all. We see those who believed in meditation as a means of salvation and those who believed in doing great deeds that that was the path to eternal life. We see the moral and the immoral, the priest as well as the minister, the nun as well as the missionary. What will happen to these religious people when they stand before God? Let the Lord Jesus answer that question. Many will say to me, he said in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? 
Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Contrary to popular opinion, believing in your chosen truth does not make it true. There is only one truth, and that's the truth of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in that truth, or you will not go to the Father. That's what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh the Father except through me. Cultural standing will mean nothing at the great white throne. Both the small and the great of this life will be there. The banker and the beggar, the prince and the pauper, the statesman and the scientist, the lawyer, the doctor, the professor, the author, the mechanic, the housewife, the bricklayer, the farmer, and the criminal. In the life in which we are now engaged, men have station, but before Jesus Christ there will be no respect of persons. Although they will stand there in mass, they will be judged individually. The place of the great white throne and the person on the great white throne and the people before the great white throne. Notice now the purpose of the great white throne. Verse 12 says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. This verse tells us that when people are gathered before the throne of God, books are opened. In other words, the evil works of the unsaved will be exposed. Every individual will be judged according to the book of life and the other books according to this text. And we're not told specifically what the other books are. We have some indication from other portions of the scripture about their contents and how they will be used to judge men and women at the great white throne. First of all, there's the book of the law. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day thought they could merit salvation through obedience to the law. And many Christians today make the same mistake. But as Paul points out, people cannot earn their salvation through the law unless they keep it perfectly, which we fallen human beings don't have a chance to do. Paul wrote to the Romans and he said, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight. You know why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Anyone who stands before Christ the judge and claims to be justified by keeping the law will be condemned by the law. Only those who are in Christ will be found not guilty in the eyes of the law. I probably am not the only one that grew up in a kind of uh, legalistic environment. We had all the rules, you know, the filthy five, the dirty dozen, the nasty nine, all of those things that you weren't supposed to do. And the idea was if you don't do any of those things, then you're going to be fine. I want to tell you something, that's not going to matter at all. You will never be able to amass a record of enough good works or the lack of evil works to have a hope before the great white throne judgment. If you're thinking you're going to go to heaven by keeping the law, it never works. Then there's the book of works. Revelation 20 verse 13 tells us that the rebellious were judged, listen to this, each one according to their works. Paul also spoke about this. He said, whose end will be according to their works. 
And Jesus said, the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each one according to his works. Now, God is going to have a complete record of every moment of every person's life, everything done in secret and everything done in public. Who you are will be borne out by what you have done and how you have lived. For those who believe they will be able to go to heaven by their good works, this will be their ultimate moment of truth. By their works, they will be judged. When they stand before God at the great white throne and say, I think I have done enough good works to merit going to heaven, Almighty God will say, well, let's see. And the book will be opened. And then there's the book of secrets. This is the one everyone fears the most. Scripture tells us that although we may be able to hide things from other people, there is nothing we can ever hide from God. Jesus said, nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. The Apostle Paul wrote that God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, Solomon said it this way, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And there's the book of words. Scientists tell us that every word we ever speak is floating around somewhere in the world today, that no word ever spoken is ever totally lost. The sound waves continue on indefinitely. I don't know about that, but Scripture tells us that spoken words will be brought to the judgment of those who stand at the white throne. Matthew 12, 36 and 37 says, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. When people's excuses begin to pour out, the book of words will be opened, and by a person's own utterances, he or she will stand condemned before the Lord. We have the book of law and the book of works and the book of secrets and the book of words. What about the book of conscience? Romans 2.15 says, Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or excusing them. Some may say, Well, Lord, I've tried to live by my conscience. My life has been built on my conscience. How many of you know your conscience is flawed? Because it's informed by the things outside of it. But the Bible says, no matter what shape your conscience is in, whether it's good, bad, or medium, you will be brought to judgment because you don't even live up to what you say your conscience is. You won't even live up to your conscience. None of us do. And finally, there's that big book called the Book of Life. Revelation 21, 27 says, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will get into heaven. So what is that book? Perhaps some information culturally about the time when this was written will help you. In John's day, the human author of the book of Revelation, in the cities that existed, there was a register that listed the name of every citizen. So if you lived in this city, you were on the register of that city. Your name was on the list. If you committed a crime or otherwise dishonored your standing in that city for any reason, you would be called before a tribunal and have your name removed, literally blotted out from the citizenry of that city. 
and you would have to leave that city, no longer be allowed to live there and move someplace else. I believe that this is the concept behind the Book of Life, so listen carefully. The names of all of the people born into the whole world are originally entered into the Book of Life. But those names are subject to being removed. We can speculate that every person's name entered into the Book of Life is entered in with the time of conception and the time of birth. Perhaps the age of accountability might be next to his name. And then if he's a Christian, the date of his conversion to Christ as his Savior is there. But if there are no entries for the last items by the time that person dies, the entry will be blotted out, Revelation 3, 5. And an awful blank space will be left in the book at the place where that name should have been. Exhibiting this blank spot in the book will be the final and conclusive evidence that the person being judged must be consigned to life forever without God. You see what happens is when we're born, our name goes into the book of life and we have all of our lifetime to accept Christ. If we come to the end of our life and we haven't accepted him, the Bible says our name is blotted out of the book of life and no man can go to heaven whose name is not in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible tells us that when the judgment is over and everyone has been found guilty because no one will be innocent at the great white throne. Let me remind you again, people, there will be no believers at the great white throne judgment. Believers are at the judgment seat of Christ right after the rapture. Seven years goes by in the tribulation followed by a thousand years in the millennium and the judgment at the end of the millennium is the great white throne. Here's the thing for you to remember. At the great white throne judgment, everybody is an unbeliever. At the judgment seat of Christ, everybody is a believer. If you are at the great white throne judgment, you're in a lot of trouble because that is the place where the punishment is handed out after the judgment is completed. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. When we are told that death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire, the totality of sinful humanity's judgment is sent. When a person stops living in this world, we often say that he dies, and sometimes we think, well, that means he ceases to exist. But the meaning of death is not to cease to exist. It means separation. Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death is the separation of the soul from God. And the second death is the separation of the soul from God forever and ever and ever, never ever to have another chance to get it right. When death and Hades are cast into hell, both the body which has been resurrected from the grave and the soul which has been in Hades will be cast into the lake of fire and separated from God forever and ever. Some people say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, this stuff about hell, it's old-fashioned. Nobody believes in that anymore. I read this book somebody wrote about how it's not even real. Well, you can choose to believe that, but remind yourself that just because you choose to believe it doesn't make it true. I'm so amazed that some people that I talk to think that because they believe it, it's true. Well, it's my truth. Well, your truth is not true. Your truth is bogus. 
You don't get to make your own truth. You don't get to say, oh, I believe this, and so this is my truth. Well, you better be sure that your truth lines up with God's truth, or your truth is a lie. And so people say, well, I don't preach on hell anymore. That's from the old generation. Nobody talks about that, and nobody really believes in it. Well, let me remind you that both Revelation and Matthew clearly teach about eternal punishment in hell. It's not a popular doctrine, but if you're a preacher of the Word of God, there is no way around it in the Scripture. Did you know that for every word that Jesus spoke about heaven, he spoke three words about hell? Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. In Matthew 25, The king will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. Paul said that those who do not know God will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Revelation 21 in verse 8, John tells us what kind of people end up in the lake of fire. I want to read this list for you, but I want you to know there's a surprise in the middle of it. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars. They will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. In the midst of all of those awful things is the word unbelieving. Ultimately, men and women, when you stand before God at the judgment, It won't be about your works or your words or your secrets or anything else. Those are all just evidence to show that you're guilty. But the reason that you don't go to heaven if you don't go there is because you have failed to believe. To believe that God loves you so much that he sent his son into this world to die for you and pay the penalty for all of the things that we have all done wrong. We are all sinners. The only difference between the people who are Christians and the people who are not Christians is the people who are not Christians are sinners and the people who are Christians are sinners saved by grace. And the beauty of this story to me is that Almighty God has made it possible for us to go to heaven if we will believe. Listen to these words from the Gospel of John. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of his only begotten Son. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. My friends, none of this that I've talked about today has to be the experience of any single person if you will simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you know I went through an experience with lymphoma cancer. And I want you to go with me to my doctor's office. I've just been diagnosed and I go to see him and I'm sitting in his office and he begins to talk with me. And he says, Dr. Jeremiah, you have lymphoma cancer, and there's a mass of it in your abdominal cavity. Let me tell you about this disease. And he begins to tell me all the awful things about lymphoma cancer, how it can spread through your body, how it can return, how if you don't have the right kind, it may not even be able to be dealt with. I go home after my visit, and I get to the Internet, and I look up on the Internet, and I find everything I can find out about lymphoma cancer, and none of it is good. And so I go back to the doctor, and I'm fully aware now of what I have. 
But he says to me, Dr. Jeremiah, medicine's made some great discoveries. And I believe we can cure you of this disease. We have the ability to cure that disease. And I want to tell you about the cure. And he lays out for me the protocol for defeating that disease. And suppose I would say to him, thank you for your information. And just walk out of the office. I've got a disease that's going to take my life. I know there's a cure that's available to me, but I don't avail myself of it. And so I die in my lymphoma. That's exactly what this is all about. Almighty God has diagnosed our disease. He's laid out for us all of the reasons why we can't go to heaven unless we take the cure. And Jesus Christ is the cure. And he says to us, if we come to him humbly and we ask for forgiveness of our sin, he will take his precious blood that was shed on Calvary and he will allow it to wash over our sin and it will go away. He will put it as far away from him as the east is from the west. He will bury it in the deepest sea and we will be forgiven. But what we must do is reach out and accept it. He doesn't just give it to us without our asking for it. And so the way we get cured from the sickness and cancer of sin is by inviting Jesus Christ to be our Savior. And we invite him into our heart and into our life. And many of us, we've done that. And we think of the people we know and love who don't know the Lord. And we realize that some of them, if they don't accept Jesus, are going to stand someday at this awful moment before the judge of the whole world. And in our hearts, we give thanks to God that he brought someone into our life to share with us the cure. And we accepted Christ. But in that same heart is the sadness for those we know who haven't yet received him. And some of you may be in that category. I've laid out for you as clearly as I know how and hopefully compassionately what the Bible says the future holds for those who do not receive Christ. Today, you have an opportunity to accept him. Today, you have an opportunity to receive him, his salvation, his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his promise that when you receive him, he will give to you the gift of eternal life. Why would you walk away from that when it's right within your grasp? You know, friends, uh, one of the things that people say to me when I talk to them about their relationship with Christ is sometimes they say, well, you know, Dr. Jeremiah, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I know you believe that. I don't believe it. As if by not believing it, they can make it untrue. <laughs> you know, it doesn't, it's not true because I believe it. I believe it because it's true. And you can say all you want to about not believing that Jesus Christ is the way to heaven, but that is the truth. The Scripture says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, that doesn't make it untrue. It's still true. And one day, the truth of it will, well, it will stare you in the face uh, in an undeniable way. Don't let that happen. Let the truth wash over your soul and follow Christ into the kingdom. Accept him as your Savior and acknowledge him as your Lord. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, uh, we move to the next one of the 31 
undeniable prophecies of the apocalypse, and our lesson tomorrow is the new heaven and the new earth from Revelation chapter 21. Did you know that one day Almighty God is going to renovate heaven and earth, totally renovated? I mean, you can't imagine what you're going to learn tomorrow as you open your Bibles together uh, with me, and we we learn together about the renovation of heaven and earth one day in the future. In the meantime, don't forget, there's still room for you in Alaska if you want to come with us in July. We'll have a great time studying the Scripture and seeing the beautiful sights of that great place. Uh, our music that week is Michael Sanchez and Uriel Vega. We'll have a great time together. There's room for you now, but there won't be for much longer, so you want to make sure you get your reservation in as soon as possible. And we'll be back here tomorrow for the final edition of this week as we study together the undeniable prophecies of the apocalypse. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How is God blessing you with this ministry? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, After the Rapture, An End Times Guide to Survival, which answers the question, what's next? It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Signs right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, Living the 66 Books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Imagine walking into a room and seeing a small portrait of a beautiful child that was surrounded by an ornate gold frame more than three times the size of the portrait. Which would you notice first? A frame should enhance the picture it holds, not overshadow it. And the same is true of our appearance. 
The word countenance occurs nearly 40 times in the Bible, almost always referring to the face. It is our face that reflects who we truly are. If our frame, that is our clothes and such, overshadows the beauty of Christ in our face, then the world will fail to see what is most important. Now this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's beauty in you on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.